This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the real estate market has been scorching hot over the last 12 months as mortgage rates have fallen to record lows and add in lower inventory. And you have a formula for higher sale prices as well as quicker sales. A new report from Coldwell Bank are looking at what the real estate market might play out like in the months ahead. Ryan Gorman is president and CEO of Coldwell Banker Real Estate, who also just happens to be a Penn and Wharton School grad. Ryan, great to have you with us, and uh, great to have you uh, back in the uh, in the Wharton community for a few minutes. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity to join. So lay out what your expectations are over the last few months, because even during the pandemic last year, it was certainly an interesting year for real estate. What What do you think lies ahead? You know, it's always difficult to to tell, but uh, fortunately, what we're not dealing with right now is a lot of speculation. Speculation is dangerous for the market and also makes it really difficult to forecast. But what we are dealing with is a lot of really fundamental, sound, organic demand, right? Families and individuals deciding that they want to live differently or in a different place than they currently are, maybe because they're spending more time indoors, they're uh, perhaps working from home, educating from home, entertaining in a backyard that hasn't seen that much use in prior years. And they're deciding, you know what, maybe I want something a little different here. Sometimes they're investigating alternatives to do some construction, some renovation on their home, and maybe they're finding the timelines and costs of that to be a little high. And they say, well, maybe it'd be advantageous to take advantage of those mortgage rates you just mentioned and uh, move across town or into a different home that's already set up the way we like it. Uh, That coupled with folks who are deciding, you know, maybe it's if I can work remotely even a little bit, um, maybe it's yeah. time for us to make that move we were thinking of making a few years from now. Uh, go ahead and do it now and commute back for, for work now and then. And that that kind of fundamental demand, I think, bodes really well for this coming year and, and perhaps well beyond. Well, you know, it's interesting because I heard of people, you know, during the pandemic who decided I'm going to go someplace different since I can work remotely, be there for six months, and then kind of determine how, you know, I want to go from there. And as you laid out, with more and more companies seemingly looking at remote work, uh, maybe, you know, relying more on Zoom or other conferencing platforms, people have a chance to maybe live in different parts of the world uh, where housing prices are different and and still be able to, you know, have a great life. That's absolutely true. Uh, And and that's, a lot of what the focus has been most recently is on the price increases we've seen over the last year, which are, are certainly significant. But a lot of folks have asked questions of me and everyone else about how's that really impacting affordability. And one of the positive impacts uh, is exactly what you just mentioned. Someone can say to themselves, well, you know what, if I only need to be maybe in the city three days a week, perhaps I can afford to have not just a 40-minute train ride, but maybe a 60-minute train ride. And that extra 20 minutes can perhaps decrease the price of the home I'm looking at by 30% or increase the interior square footage I was looking at by 30%. So suddenly yeah. the affordability math is is completely different. And it goes the opposite way too. I mean, I'm a, like I said uh, earlier, I'm a, I'm a Philly guy through and through. Uh, my mother lives right across the bridge from campus there. And uh, every time I go back, I think, man, I, I would love to live back in the city. Of course, my work is two hours north, but today my work is virtual. Uh, I could very well do that that reverse commute. You could have the empty nesters who've been filling cities uh, right up until the pandemic start to think that maybe it is even more viable than they thought. So it's, I really think there's some some fundamental drivers here that can both increase affordability and continue to sustain high demand. So do you expect that 
that that push to live in cities that we saw from a lot of younger generations pre-pandemic, uh, that that's going to return as strong or maybe even stronger as we get a little bit further away from the pandemic. Because obviously, I think if you you hear about New York City and, and to a degree other cities as well, that people decided to get out of cities for a while because of the fact that many of the services they would normally rely on, they couldn't because they were shut down uh, because of the pandemic. Certainly. And, and early on in the pandemic, you could understand that decision, right? If you were asked to really truly remain indoors and if you were indoors, didn't afford any balcony space or, or outdoor, you could you could see where someone would make that that trade off and decide they're going to spend some time elsewhere. Maybe when they spend time elsewhere, they realize, hey, we kind of like it. And maybe we're going to go ahead and make that move out of the city a little earlier than planned. But today, I mean, as you can tell, whether it's uh, you know Disneyland uh, or uh, you know the the vacation travel market or even what the airlines are reporting, people are eager yeah. to get back to some of the things that they really enjoyed in the past. And part of that is the appeal of the city. I, I am I'm a city guy. I love nothing more than you know Dan right across the river from me. There, there's a dog park and boardwalk going into the river. I was yep. there this weekend. Yep. It, there's nothing that replaces that vibrancy, that that excitement, that uh, livability that can be created in that way. And every restaurant you can imagine in walking distance, you can get delivery if you're uncomfortable. Everyone's filled outdoor seating. I think we as a society, kind of globally, just morph to what we need to do. We adjust our approach. We adjust our expectations. We sit outside and eat when it's 30 degrees colder than we normally would because the appeal is that strong. What is the state of inventory, though, in the real estate market? Because you hear a lot of stories saying it's low, but, you know, I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia and, you know, I see a decent amount of homes that that are up for sale even even right now. So where are we on that inventory question? Yeah, inventory is somewhat of a relative term. So there's there's a literal amount of inventory that we have that is not completely out of whack with the historical norms. It depends on where you're you're looking. But, for instance, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, it is the inventory is a little on the low side, but it's it's not vanished. However, the demand is so much stronger than it's been in the past that inventory relative to demand is very low, which is why you're probably seeing you see houses pop up now and then, but you probably see them sell extremely quickly. If they're reasonably yeah. priced and in decent condition, they're probably going possibly on the first day they hit the market uh, with multiple offers and backup offers uh, in place. So that's a good indication that inventory itself is perhaps not completely out of line, but relative to demand, it is at an all-time low. Uh, and we continue and, and to pr- see that. And the pricing, in, in some cases, being above what the original asking price was. Absolutely. And that's what happens, of course, in a, a you know, market economy, right? You have a, a lot more interest than uh, than there is inventory to apply that interest to. And and fortunately, it's not speculative interest. It's not people who are, who are flipping homes like we saw maybe yeah. 15 years ago. It's people who say, you know what, I want to live here and I'm willing to actually make some trade-offs elsewhere in my life in order to live here. I'm willing to maybe, uh, you know, eat out a little less often. Uh, maybe I've gotten used to that over the past year and I've gotten into cooking so I can afford to put that money maybe towards uh, fixing a place up or, or a mortgage payment. So it's really it's individuals and families deciding that they are willing to you know, pay a higher price to be able to live there. And it's not just in that you know, in that building, but in that neighborhood, in that area where they want to go for a walk every night, where they want to, you know, their kids to go to school. Um, and and yeah. that's, that's the fundamental appeal. It continues to drive those multiple offer situations that drive the, the price above asking oftentimes. So uh, assuming we see the expected surge in the U.S. economy in the back half of 2021 and into 2022, 
should the expectation be that housing would kind of move right along with that? Potentially. Certainly a strong economy typically means strong uh, consumer confidence. And that's a really, really good thing. That's a good thing for a lot of reasons. That helps the builders to be able to make investments they need to make to be able to add inventory. We still don't have enough building going on in the country to even replace the homes that we lose due to you know flood and fire and other things. And that also helps individuals to say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to uh, make a pretty long-term commitment uh, by moving into a home, getting a mortgage, and, and stabilizing. So for that, I think it'll continue to support demand. What that does for pricing, however, uh, the actual price of properties, that, that can go in a lot of different directions. Uh, I think it continues to support an upward movement in price. But what we've seen over the last year, sort of double-digit increases in price, over many years, that kind of thing is not sustainable. And what you end up seeing is that uh, inventory is added by the builders, inventory is added by people realizing they can sell for a price that allows them to move on the way they wanted to, whether they're retiring or, or downsizing or just moving laterally. And that adds inventory. When you add that kind of inventory, then it can kind of bring the overall heat of the market back into a more sustainable line. Got about a minute and a half left. So I'll ask my last question twofold. What do you think is the most important question that both home sellers and home buyers, obviously from different perspectives, should be thinking about right now? Well, you know, I see a lot of buyers and sellers getting caught up a little bit in the market, and I always kind of direct them back to really their needs and wants. So well, why is it you're even contemplating entering the market as a, as a buyer or a seller? Fundamentally, what is driving you? And then keep that at the very top of your priority list. So when you're out there shopping or when you're contemplating selling, make sure you've got your absolute top priorities in mind and make sure your agent, and you should be working with an agent, especially in this market, you, you definitely need a, a trusted advisor. And if anyone needs one, uh, you can reach out to me. I'll, I'll uh, connect you with a great cold banker agent. But keeping that priority top of mind, making sure your agent understands that priority, that's fundamental. Because when you get into a situation like a multiple offer situation, whether you're the buyer or the seller, you need to be able to hew back to your priority to decide what you should do next. And I'll also just add be the strongest possible buyer or seller in both circumstances. So make sure that your property is ready for the market if you're selling. And if you're buying, make sure that you've met with a loan officer, you've gotten yourself underwritten, you know exactly what you can afford and how strong an offer you can make well before right. you enter the fray. It's, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart right now, so you need to make sure you're fully prepared and well-advised. Ryan, greatly appreciate your time. Let's stay in touch. We'll have you back on here uh, a few months down the road. We'll uh, we'll go back and look at all of this stuff we talked about and see how much of it played out. Well, I really appreciate that. And thanks for the opportunity, Daniel. I am a, a listener of your show, so it's uh, a little surreal for me to actually be on the show. But I really appreciate your interest in this, and thanks for what you're doing. No, absolutely, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Ryan Gorman, who is the president and CEO of Colwell Banker Real Estate. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.